Today's podcast from AUA 2019, Crossfire, Controversies in Urology, Ureteral Reimplantation Should Be Robotic. Good morning, everyone. It's my pleasure to introduce our uh, Controversies in Urology topic, Ureteral Reimplantation Should Be Robotic. As a disclaimer, we will not be discussing expectant management, continuous antibiotic prophylaxis, or endoscopic therapy. The AUA guidelines were last updated for reflux in 2017, and with respect to surgical treatment of reflux, the option that was discussed was surgical intervention, including both open and endoscopic methods, and this was based on review of data and panel consensus. Our discussants this morning are Dr. Mohan Gandetti from Chicago, who will present the pro-evidence uh, uh, for uh, robotic uh, reimplantation. Linda Baker from Dallas will uh, give the con re re response. Rich Yu from Boston will then uh, give a rebuttal with respect to the pro aspects of, uh, end of uh, robotic surgery. And Gil Rushton will finish us off with uh, the reasons for not doing robotic reimplantation. So, Dr. Gundet. Thank you, Dr. Brock. Good morning, friends, and chair, and co-chair, and my esteemed co-faculties. So what I'm going to share today is some of the journey of mine in regards to the robotic ureteric reimplantation. It's my approach for the lower grades when the surgical intervention is required to do a deflux injection, and when the higher grades are there, either open or a minimal invasive surgery reimplantation. So why change the current practice? You know, as I was doing the open urethral reimplantation, which has an excellent outcome, you know, but there is a morbidity and also some of the complications. So what are these morbidity with the open Cohen's reimplantation is mainly the bladder spasms and the pain, which is very well noted by everyone, including me. And also, the pain, when you compare even with the extravasical to extravasical, there's a difference with the minimal and the open surgical approach. So in about 10 years ago, I was thinking about what can we do to these children to help in regards to the pain and the bladder spasm? Shall I go to the open extravasical or shall I think about the minimal invasive surgical approach? At the time, we are in a situation when our open reimplants or surgical intervention for reflux surgery is going down, and we need to think about what we can offer best to our patients. So with that in mind, being a minimal invasive surgery, minimal experience in the past, and the robotic experience, after about two years, I started doing the robotic reimplantation with the open uh, adopting the open and laparoscopic technique which has been described previously. And if you see here, the success rate is 67%. And this made me sleepless nights in the sense, why are we doing this? Can we do better? So modified the technique in regards to the length of the tunnel, um, including some adventitial suture, but still it didn't go up. Continue to develop, and then towards the end, when we included some U-stitch, adventitial suture, and refined the technique, the technique got into 87%. So what is this technique? And this technique is basically the importance of this is, apart from the dissection, the length of the detrusor tunnel, 
the U-stitch, which may give some advancement, and the apical alignment to keep that ureter in the trough and the adventitial suture. So this is a small video clip I want to share with you all. This young girl, uh, young boy who had a grade four vasicoretal reflux on the right side, persistence beyond the resolution age. And the important saline tips are basically to make sure that the ureter is handled very well. Uh, we dissect in a plane to keep the vascularity and create another peritoneal window below the vas deferens or the broad ligament of uterus and pass that umbilical tape below the broad ligament or vas deferens in male. And then the further dissection needs to be done very carefully, minimizing the cautery and making sure that the ureterocycle junction is kept very well. The traction suture is not a traction, but it's a traction by the my bedside surgeon who is helping me, especially my residents who do a great job and uh, helping that procedure at that step is very helpful. This is a detrusal tunnel which is created about approximately four centimeters, the fallacy being the bladder is distended, we keep a traction suture. And the detrusor flaps are created adequately, but at ureterovacycle junction, if you see here, I do a Y so that the posterior base of ureterovacycle junction is preserved, and hopefully that helps for the vascularity and it gives the robustness to do the U suture. So this is the U suture. It gets a little bit difficult in the initial learning curve, and uh, you pass the suture about five OPDS or four OPDS from the right side, the ureterovacycle junction, and then to the left side and cinch it down so that it is getting advanced, but at a make sure at the same time it's not too tight. So this is how it looks like, the U suture, and then you advance continuous detrusorography with uh, continuous suture, taking the advantage of ureter in alternate suture. Once this is done, then you know we will complete the detrusorography, but make sure that there's a space between the detrusor tunnel and the ureter at the apex to prevent any obstruction or any unadvanced complications. So this is the apical alignment suture, and if you remember, we all do the sauce hitch, and this is probably the reverse of the sauce hitch to help to keep that ureter in the trough. And this is how the completed reimplantation looks like. This is my backup video. Uh, technology needs a backup, so I won't want to show you again. Uh, I need to advance this, okay, advance, okay. Uh, I'm going back, sorry. Uh, sorry. Can we advance this, please? Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Thank you. So whenever you think about you know, some of the modification of the technique, we do need to share with our colleagues. We do need to talk about it so you can brainstorm the idea and think about what you can do better. And this was shared with the live surgical workshop, some of the live case transmissions, and also the publication. But the next frontier was how we can all get together and think about what are these outcomes. So 
couple of our centers in the United States, we got together and did the initial retrospective review from 2010 to 2015. And if you look at the success rate, was about 87% in regards to the reflux resolution. We continued to brainstorm and said, you know, let's do prospective study. And this is a prospective study done, again, with the same centers, about 140 patients, and the reflux resolution increased to 93%, and the Clavin grade three complication is about 5.6%. So if we look back, then are we still helping the patients or not in regards to the outcomes and complication? You know, being a, sometime the innovator does have a deep faith, but that faith needs to be validated with the objective assessment. So what we looked at is our own series for last 10 years. This was put together by my bright medical student and fellows together. And we looked at three different phases here. The initial two years was a learning curve, then this Lewar technique used from 11 to 14, and the last three years where the technique was mastered. And if you see here, the success in the last group was about 91%, and compared to the OR times, the secondary outcomes was almost equal. In regards to the morbidity of the hematuria and the length of stay was also almost much, much less compared to the open reimplantation. So what can I say at about 10 years after doing this? is this is one of the available options, but it's very technically demanding and also there is a long learning curve. The outcomes so far are at par in regards to the reflux resolution, the mobility, and the urethral complications, which are grievous. Thank you for this opportunity and uh, welcome to Chicago. I really acknowledge all the work done by my co-faculties, multi-institutional collaborators, medical students, and fellows. Thank you. Well, in contrast to the statements made by my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Mohan Gandhati, it is clear robotic ureteral reimplantation should not be robotic. Actually, today I come dressed in black for a funeral because this could also be known as the tale of the sitting ducks. So in this tale, I will review the goals of reflux surgery compare open and robotic reimplantation, and reach some conclusions. The goals of reflux surgery are to achieve the highest surgical success rate, the lowest complication rate, the best recovery with the least pain, the best cosmesis, preferred surgical method by the families, <clears throat> the lowest cost, and the greatest teachability for future generations of surgeons. So. How do open and robotic ureteral reimplantation compare? Well, let's first look at reflux resolution success rates. When we look for open success rates, we can go to the AUA guidelines meta-analysis and see that open reimplantation enjoys a 98.1% success rate. In contrast, for robotic data, we must go to multi-institutional series, and we see that the early reports had a 77% of success rate. However, clearly newer, more recent publications have shown success rates as high as 94 to 100%. Nevertheless, because of this variability, I must conclude open reimplantation is the winner. 
Now let's look at complication rates. When we look for open complication rates, we can go to the guidelines and it's described as, quote, low. But if we look at individual series, we can see that open complication rates for urinary problems range from anywhere from 0.4 to 4%. Now, when we compare this to robotic series, we see that urinary complication rates are 2 to 7% for things like urinary retention and ureteral obstruction. But then the problem comes when we think about the other complications. Because open reimplantation is an extraperitoneal procedure, whereas robotic reimplantation is a transperitoneal procedure. And now we start to see complications such as significant peritoneal urine leak, significant blood loss intraperitoneally, and emergent open conversions. This is unjustifiable, and thus I must conclude that open reimplantation is the winner for low complication rates. Now let's think about recovery time and postoperative pain. Open reimplantation and robotic reimplantation can be performed as a 23-hour observation or even an outpatient procedure. However, open reimplantation does suffer with increased postoperative pain, hematuria, and longer hospitalization stays. Thus, I must conclude robotic reimplantation is the winner in this category. Now let's think about cosmesis. We're all very familiar with the fan and steel incision from open reimplantation, giving us a four to five centimeter suprapubic scar from under the bikini line. This is in contrast to robotic surgery where we have three incisions, one concealed in the umbilicus, and then two in the low abdomen, but high on the low abdomen. Now, if we were to employ the Hydes procedure, as described by Dr. Gorgoyo, this would move these two higher incisions down below the bikini line. Thus, I must conclude it's a draw when, it, when comparing open and robotic reimplantation. Now, let's think about parental preference for surgery. The research group at Duke, using crowdsourcing and best-worst scaling, evaluated several factors in decision-making for parents for open versus robotic reimplantation. They found that the parents felt that the two most important factors were the success rate and the complication rate, whereas they didn't care quite as much about cost, length of hospitalization, and cosmesis. They found parents would choose open surgery 75% of the time. Thus, I must conclude, for parental preference, open surgery is the winner. Now let's think about cost. In an 18-year comparison of 780 robotic versus about 76,000 open reimplants in the nationwide inpatient sample, <clears throat> They found that the comparison yielded that robotic admissions were associated with decreased length of stay, but there was increased cost associated with this. And we know that robotic costs are increased because the length of surgery is longer for robotic cases and the equipment costs more. Thus, because open reimplantation costs less, I must conclude it is the winner. Now let's think about teachability. Which surgical technique will be sustainable to teach robotic or open surgery? So let's again review the data that we previously saw, where we looked at the number of open versus robotic reimplant cases in the United States. Due to changes in reflux management, 
total reimplants are decreasing in the United States. And there has been a small increase in robotic reimplants. However, unlike open reimplants, robotic reimplants are rather case selective, excluding things like neurogenic bladder, mega ureter, and other parameters. So if we think about this data, we can do an analysis of teaching pediatric robotic reimplantation to our trainees, such as fellows. And we can do a calculation coming up with the number of reimplants performed per training site per year. And this tells us that for about every 15 robotic reimplants performed at a training site per year, there will be 94 open reimplants. I think this yields that our fellows oftentimes come out of training not adequately prepared or confident to perform robotic reimplant surgery. And this has oftentimes been described as the, quote, learning curve, which is only talked about in the robotic literature, but it's not talked about in the open literature. So this makes me wonder, is this sustainable as a teaching model in pediatric urology? So is the robot hot or not? Let's look at the scorecard. Open reimplantation is the winner in every category except for best recovery time and decreased pain as, and is a tie for best cosmesis. And when we look at the two factors that parents worry about the most, open reimplantation is the winner. So to quote my colleagues who write robotic reimplantation papers, they and I agree, open reimplantation remains the gold standard. So the robot is not hot. And if asked to do or not to do, I would say absolutely not. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Linda. I uh, appreciate you going easy on me. Um, but I was just wondering, what do you have against innocent ducks? <laughs> Let's begin by reviewing your goals for vesicoureteral reflux surgery. So for any surgical procedure, we strive for the highest success rates and the lowest complication rates. And I accept your conclusions on recovery and cosmesis. In terms of preferred surgical methods by families, we can strongly influence what approach a family chooses by the information and manner in which we present the options. In the end, families want what's best for their child, and they too want high success rates and low complication rates. Therefore, I think that this item is truly a draw since the conclusion is tied into items one and two. Cost is also an important consideration as we continue to advance into an era of cost containment, better care for lower costs, and ACOs. Finally, it is extremely important that we as academic physicians pass on our knowledge and experience. Therefore, given the limited time constraints I have, I'd like to specifically address four critical groups. When reviewing outcomes for robotic reimplantation, there is still significant variability and reflux resolution. These retrospective studies demonstrate success rates ranging from 82% to 100%, with an average success rate of about 90%. Boyson recently published their prospective data from eight centers. Their overall success rate was 93.8%. Their results are very encouraging and has reached the gold standard success rate of about 94 to 98%, but because it is only one study and there is great variability in retrospective series, I agree that open surgery wins this one for now. 
Robotic reimplantation surgery has been associated with significant complications, especially in the early adoption phase. The most serious complications include ureteral obstruction and ureteral leak at a rate of about 10%. Encouragingly, the latest prospective series from Boysen showed a 2.7% complication rate when excluding urinary retention. None of their complications exceeded clavian grade three. But given the complications encountered in the past, we definitely need more prospective studies at high volume centers and ideally multi-institutional collaborations. We need standardization of preoperative management and operative techniques, well-documented preoperative and postoperative imaging, long-term assessment of urinary tract outcomes, renal outcomes, and our complications. Therefore, I do agree, open surgery does win in general, consistently low complication rates and long-term durable outcomes. Although data suggests that ureteral reimplantation surgery overall is decreasing since the release of the AAP-UTI guidelines, robotic surgical volume continues to ride, rise in the US and worldwide. When considering robotic surgery, the most significant component contributing to direct costs is operating room time that is not offset by the shorter hospitalization time. For the future of robotic surgery in general, we should see more substantial reductions in costs with more surgical robot competitors and more cost-effective and potentially better instrumentation. For the moment, we can work to improve our OR efficiency, strive for same-day discharge, and creatively reduce our complication rates. So, I do agree that open surgery wins on cost. <laughs> now in this area, there is no doubt in my mind that robotic surgery is teachable. Although the number of robotic reumbic cases are relatively low, minimally invasive surgery is on the rise. Plus, there are many effective means of transferring those essential skills. Virtual reality simulation is available at most academic centers, many integrated into the robotic console, and allows trainees to acquire and maintain important surgical skills in a safe environment. In addition, simulators allow acquisition of performance data for feedback and tracking trainee progress. Furthermore, robotic training does not exist in a vacuum that only involves ureteral reimplantation. In most residency programs, residents acquire extensive and advanced robotic skills with robotic prostatectomies and partial nephrectomies. In pediatric urology, robotic pyoplasty is widely performed and it is considered a gold standard. All of these surgical skills are directly transferable to robotic ureteral reimplantation. Therefore, on contrary to your conclusion, I believe that robotic ureteral reimplantation surgery is highly teachable and sustainable and is a very strong winner here. In summary, open surgery wins when it comes to success rate, complication rate, and costs, but the robotic approach wins in terms of recovery and teachability to future generations. We have additional work to do with robotic reimplantation to consistently achieve these important goals, but with the incredible talent in this room, we will achieve them. Thank you for your attention. Okay, the final word. There are many medical and surgical treatment options for treatment of vesicoureteral reflux, but the question for today's debate was should, is should reimplants be done robotically? Now, if the question were can reimplants be done robotically, the answer would clearly be yes. But the question is should reimplants be done robotically? Should robotic reimplants be our preferred approach? To answer this 
statement affirmatively, one needs to demonstrate definitive superiority of this approach over and beyond existing surgical approaches. Today we've heard that the surgical success rates with robotic reimplantation are close to comparable to that of open surgery in expert, experienced hands of robotic surgeons. And there may be some minimal benefit in terms of postoperative pain and hospital length of stay in some institutions. But should reimplants be done robotically requires a higher level of proof that has not been established to date. First, I have a disclosure to make. I do not perform robotic surgery. Several of my colleagues do, and I will refer cases to them that I think will be appropriate. Secondly, yes, robotic surgery is sexy and glamorous. Now let me be clear, I'm talking about the surgery and not about our two robotic surgeons on the stage today. <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs> so perhaps some of my reluctance to answer the question in the affirmative is due to a failure to communicate convincing benefits of robotic surgery over and beyond open ureteral reimplantation. Or perhaps for those of you in the audience that are too young to remember this classic line from this iconic 1967 movie, Cool Hand Luke, starring Paul Newman and George Kennedy, what we may be dealing with instead is a generational gap. Certainly that could be true for me, <laughs> but not so much for my younger colleagues on stage today. Or perhaps this higher level of proof just isn't there. Let's review what we've heard today. Surgical success rates for robotic reimplantation have not exceeded that of open ureteral reimplantation, even in the hands of expert robotic surgeons. And in fact, in several series, the results have been inferior. But I'm going to be generous and give this a comparable score. Postoperative pain, yes, goes to robotic surgery. Yet postoperative pain management has evolved for all types of surgery. And whereas some comparative studies have shown improvement with robotic uh, poloplasties in children and with robotic radical prostatectomies in adults, there is less improvement in children undergoing robotic reimplant when compared to open extravesical reimplantation, with studies showing that most of these children require minimal systemic narcotics, particularly if a long-acting caudal block has been utilized. Similarly, there's minimal, if any, benefit in terms of hospital length of stay in recent reports of open extravesical reimplantation with rapid advancement to a normal diet and typical discharge on the first postoperative day. At the same time, OR and anesthetic times are significantly longer in all studies of robotic versus open ureteral reimplantation, and we're all aware of the current concerns regarding longer anesthetic times in young children. Hospital cost, including OR supplies and instrumentation, is significantly higher in all studies of, of robotic reimplant compared to open ureteral reimplantation. Furthermore, to date, there's been no reported advantage in terms of technical ease of performing the operation robotically versus doing it open. Now, there may be some benefit, I will admit, in a patient that's approaching puberty in terms of surgical exposure with a robotic approach, but that would be the exception. Let's look at the cosmetic argument, where three or four small abdominal incisions may be preferable to a long, longer flank scar for kidney procedures. When one compares this to a low fan and still incision that's going to be beneath the bathing suit or underwear line, this potential advantage is lost and based on a recent crowdsourced survey actually favors open ureteral reimplantation. Now, further arguing against robotic reimplant being the preferred approach is that not only have surgical success rates not exceeded that of open ureteral reimplantation, 
but several studies have reported significant complications, including uh, major ureteral injuries with robotic approaches. So, deal or no deal, should reimplants be done robotically? Has robotic reimplant met the higher level of proof to be the new gold standard in pediatric urology? Well, based on what we've heard today and an objective comparison of the two techniques, the verdict is no deal, not in 2019. Thank you. So I want to thank the AUA and the members of the panel for their excellent presentation. And I'd like to leave you with one thought as we finish this. I don't always do reimplants, but when I do, I prefer them open. Thank you very much. <laughs>